Glad you're here. See a lot of new faces. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, um, God, we're honored to be in your presence this morning. We're honored to hear from you. Lord, we know that your spirit is going to move in mighty ways in our lives today. God, help us to hear from you and help us to apply what we hear today. God, I pray you would speak even around me. Lord, help me not to be a distraction for the things that you would have spoken this morning. Lord, we do tell you that we love you. And we want to bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, again, welcome. We're glad you're here this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Greg Miller. Uh, I am a uh, deacon at this church. I'm also a full-time employee of the church. I'm the church operations manager. Um, apparently, some people have approached me in the past few weeks and uh, I think they were confused. They thought I was a pastor here at the church, and so you might wonder, why is Greg not on the picture on the website with the other pastors? I am not a pastor. Um, I am the church operations manager, and if you want to know what that is, we could talk about it, because it would probably take me 15 minutes to explain to you what exactly it is I do every day here at the church. Uh, everything, yes. <laughs> Man, it sure seems that way. No two days are different, that's for sure. Anyway, a little bit about my background. Um, I'm not a native of Colorado, but I did grow up in Colorado, in Colorado Springs. Um, I education, I got, studied architecture. I got two degrees. First one from Georgia Tech, go Yellow Jackets. I don't think there's probably anyone else who went to Georgia Tech here. And I got my master's from the University of Washington in Seattle, go Huskies. I think both my teams are like both 3 and 0 or something like that. It's great. Um, after that, I came back to Colorado. Uh, I've been married to Christine. I have a picture here of my family. This was our uh, spring vacation. Uh, we've been married for 12 years. We have five children. There they all are. I can't remember their names. <laughs> but I remember their ages because it's easy. They're 9, 7, 5, 3, and 1. Which is good for another month or two until one of them changes age and then I can't remember anymore. Um, I've been here at the firehouse for nine years. We started this church nine years ago in September. Um, I've been here helping. And then as I said, I'm the operations manager here at church. I just came on board full time in July uh, doing that after 15 years uh, as an architect. So that's a little bit about me. Uh, for those of you who've been here or haven't been here, you know that we're uh, in part three of the Taming the Money Monster series. Um, and so giving that little background about me should maybe give you a bit of my perspective. I'm just sort of a normal guy, probably a lot like a, many of you, education, a profession, just going along uh, trying to serve God. Um, money is really a monster, isn't it? I know Jeff, last week, just for review, last week Jeff talked a lot about uh, how money mismanaged can lead to some problems. The week before that, John Meyer was here and he talked about how money is just a big part of everything we do. Um, I don't know, did anybody this week, speaking of money, did anybody else get like a notice from their health care provider that their health care coverage is going to be terminated? <laughs> It's like about the money monster rearing its head. That happened to me this week. I was like, I just signed up for new health care and you're going to terminate my plan in another couple months? I don't know. I try not to be concerned here. We'll go through why I shouldn't be concerned. So when we look at the experience of being an American, 
What do you think is probably the biggest temptation for us as Americans? This is a little review from what John said. Um, the biggest temptation is probably the desire to get rich, to have stuff. I mean, think about how much spam email do you receive about money-making schemes where they say, you can get rich from the comfort of your own home, right? I get a ton of those in my spam box. Uh, how many times do you hear something on the radio about, hey, improve your pay for less work or something like that? Um, and then how many of us make decisions, big decisions in life, about making more money? Like, where we're going to live? Um, it's such a temptation to try to get rich. And it's really a temptation that affects everybody. Um, it can really even affect those of us who have a personal relationship with Jesus. And it's really infected the church, culturally at least, with the thinking that the pursuit of God or godliness is a means to financial gain. But like all things, we find that the scripture speaks clearly to the problem. Because it's not really a new problem, right? People have been dealing with finances and resources. It's one that's existed for a long time. Going forward here. Can you click for me, Dale? Something is wrong with this. First verse is in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 5 to 10. I'll read it out. Now, I paraphrased here. You see this little bit in brackets. And this is one of those passages where the Apostle Paul takes about four verses to set up for this verse. So I just paraphrase it here. And so he's saying, Those who reject the sound teachings of the gospel think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So let's go back to that first sentence, that verse 5 there, and let's turn it around. Let's take those two parts and switch it like we're in English class. right? We can switch it around and really say this. Those who think that godliness is a means to financial gain reject the sound teachings of the gospel. Ouch, that's really convicting for me because I think I really have a tendency to think that my relationship with God entitles me to have things, to get rich, to have lots of stuff, to be well off, to be comfortable. See, that's not what this passage says. Instead, the passage really highlights the fact that there's a tension between godliness and materialism. And so one way of looking at this is to think about there's really two economies at work in the world. Um, there's the worlds, which really says, hey, it is more blessed to receive than it is to give. Or, there's God's economy, which says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so, I think until we realize this tension and realize these two economies and which one we're going to live in, we're kind of wasting our time when we talk about finances and money. So, what does God want us to do? Does He really want us to go without, right? If there's this tension between godliness and between materialism, does He just want us to just have less, to go without does he want us to take a vow of poverty? Uh, fortunately, <laughs> I don't really see evidence in the scripture that says, hey, take a vow of poverty, right? 
And the reason for that is I think that kind of response keeps the focus on us. Right? It keeps the focus on us and our action. Oh, I'm taking a vow of poverty. I'm going to go with less. I, me, 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 me. Right? The focus is on yourself. And I think what God is really asking us in the scripture, he's not asking us to just desire all the stuff and the money less. He wants us to desire him more. I know it's like subtle, but it's really important. So it's not about do or don't or have or don't have. But it's really a question of, am I going to go after God or am I going to go after other things? And so that's the key thing I want us to catch today, is that we need to align our hearts with desiring the fullness of God over the pursuit of empty stuff. I'll say that again. We need to align our hearts with desiring the fullness of God over the pursuit of empty stuff. So when we catch this idea and we own it, we can ask the question in honesty, say, God... What do you want me to do with this money? And the answer to this is that God wants us to give our money in ways that bring Him glory. Not just give randomly, but ways that bring Him glory. And when we give and we bring Him glory, if we have a right relationship with God, then that brings us joy because it glorifies God. So there's this cycle. Right? We give our money, it brings God glory. We have, we have joy from that. From that joy, we want to give more, right? In this sense, today's message, you saw the title there, which says God's Re- Resource for Good. I think it really could be retitled God's Resource for Our Joy and His Glory. In fact, if you want to just cross that out, if everyone has a handout, you just cross out good and write Our Joy and His Glory. And so now we're going to look at the background for this idea of giving. And then we're going to talk some about uh, some clear ways God wants to give. So now we're really going to get into this handout you got in front of us. So first, we'll go to the next slide. Why are we free to give? The first reason is that God has created us to be stewards for Him. <coughs> Genesis chapter 1, verse 26-28, way back in the beginning... In the creation story, God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over all the earth and over all the creatures. God blessed them and said to them, Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over every living creature. So we can see from this verse, our purpose here on earth is to be stewards. I'll use that word a few more times here today. Well, what is a steward? Maybe you can define that for you. A steward is someone who is a caretaker, who manages wisely, by keeping in balance the needs of people and the resources available, right? The key here is the steward is not the owner. The steward is the manager. Interesting little aside there. In my picture of my family, my oldest son's name is Reeve, which in Old English means steward. And we chose that name on purpose because we wanted to recognize before God that uh, he had given our son to us and we were going to be a steward of him. Now see, this role of steward, see, it's here in, in Genesis chapter 1. It wasn't just given to Adam, right? It was given to Adam, but it wasn't just to him. It was just to him first. And then there was an assumption that that role would continue over the rest of us, all the way through time up to us today. And so this is really kind of in our created DNA, our emotional DNA, our spiritual DNA. And so being a steward is really part of our purpose. And so quite obviously, being a steward extends to our finances, our financial resources. 
So where do these resources come from? Go to the next slide. All we have has been entrusted to us or given to us by God. 1 Corinthians 4.7 says, for, whom, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? So who's given us all that we have? Anyone? God. That's right. No created things have anything to begin with. None of us start out with a bunch of stuff, right? And when we all pass away, none of us will have anything left. We won't be able to keep anything beyond this life. And so the typical confusion here for a lot of people is you say, well, okay, I didn't start with anything, I'm not going to end with anything, but what about what I have in the middle? Didn't I work and earn the money that I have? And I guess I would respond to that with a series of questions. Did you generate the job you're in? Did you bring the clients or customers along and instill them with a need for the product or service you rendered? Did you make all the wise decisions of the management of the company you work for? And so on and so on and so on. See, everything is so complex yet so ordered. It really points to me, it points us to the hand of God orchestrating our resources. I think there's a reason that sometimes in history people have referred to God as the hand of providence, the one who provides, right? So if we can grasp this, we can grasp that God's the one who provides for us, then we're completely free to give because it's not ours to begin with, right? We're just stewards. We can go to the next slide. God retains ownership of all He's made. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That's Psalm 24, verse 1. See, God made the world. God made everything. And there's nowhere we find where God has said, hey, I'm going to give that ownership over to anyone else. Right? He maintains ownership over everything. All that you and I have, God looks at as His. And all of those things are something that He's ultimately responsible for. Right? So there's sort of this relief of like, okay, well, God's really responsible for everything. I'm not really responsible, but I'm a steward. So we're stewards and we're not owners. And I think we've got to be careful here because that stewardship is, is for stuff, but it's not just for the stuff and the things that we have. It's our very selves, right? We belong to God. If you believe that God created us, but we belong to Him. We're part of what He owns. And that's going to be true whether you have a right relationship with God or whether you have no relationship with God. Our lives here and what we do with our lives is a stewardship that God has given us. And at the end of our lives, I believe, we'll all present ourselves before God and we have to give an account for what we've done with our lives. Again, that's because our lives belong to God. Our lives and our things belong to God, and we're stewards of those things. So another way of saying this, the next slide, no created thing was ours to begin with, nor will be ours to keep. It's a famous verse from Job, chapter 1. Job realizes uh, his position before God here. And this is his way of putting it. He says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart, which means when he dies. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. See, we don't, none of us really get to choose what we get. We only get to choose what we do with what we've been given. 
It's like life is like a box of chocolates, right? I don't know. This is some other movies I think that talk about that too. When we die, we don't get to keep anything that we were given, right? It just sort of passes through us and on to the next people. So, can we do whatever we want with what we've been given? Of course. Of course we can do whatever we want with what we've been given. God gave us a free will so we can choose or choose otherwise and do whatever we want to do. But let's imagine this scenario. So you're at work and your boss comes to your desk and he goes, Hey, he sets the stack of bills down on your desk and he says, Here's $100,000 of the company's money. And he turns and walks away. <laughs> so you could probably have a lot of reactions, right? You'd be like, sweet, $100,000, that's awesome. I don't know, to me that's a lot of money, right? But would you really, like, think about it. Would you really just run off and be like, I'm going over to the Lexus dealership? <laughs> or, uh, where's, where's it that they sell Rolexes? Or, you know, you go over to whatever, someplace and get a suit or something like that. Would you really do that? Or would you be like, hey, wait, 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 wait. What do you want me to do with this money, right? Wouldn't you ask that question first before you run off and buy yourself a Lexus? Well, I think that's a picture of the way God kind of looks at us, right? God's given us all that we have. If we're stewards of what He owns, we have it. It's like He set that stack on our desk. I think it sort of behooves us to say, "Mm, God, what do you want us to do with that? What do you want me to do with what you've given me, right? You go, well, I, I don't know. What is God's expectation? Go to the next slide. Here's your answer. God expects us to use what He gives us to further our good purposes in the world. Okay, you were paying attention. No. He expects us to use what He gives us to further His good purposes in the world. Luke 12, 48 says, For everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. This is the essence of being a steward. Will we use what is entrusted to us for God's purposes or for our own purposes, selfishly? So that's a great gut check question. You can ask yourself this. Am I using my financial and tangible resources for God's purposes for good in the world or for my own self-edification? Another way you could say it is, Am I buying unaffordable things because I selfishly just want those unaffordable things because I think they'll give meaning to my life? That cuts kind of close to my heart sometimes. Fine, you say. Okay, okay, I get it that money is still God's and I get it that I'm just a caretaker, I'm a steward of it while I'm here on earth. So how in the world am I supposed to know what God's purposes are? What am I supposed to do with this money God's given me? Well, if you're asking that question, awesome, right? Because again, he's given us the scriptures, and I'm going to show you here this morning the guidance he's given us from the scriptures for how to use his money. And so we can see clearly, we'll go to the next slide, that there are seven purposes that are pretty clear from scripture that we can use the money God's entrusted us with. And these are in order of importance, and so we'll run through these. And hopefully you'll learn a little something about God, what, what God wants you to do with the money he's given you. The first one... Go to the next slide. Here it is. Yeah, return the first and the best to Him. You must present to the Lord's. You must present as the Lord's portion the best and holiest part of everything given to you. That's from Numbers 18, 20, 18 29. Uh, Proverbs three nine and ten says, "Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine." And we could just go through verse after verse after verse in the Bible that talks about this. 
It's very clear from the Bible, this is the very most important thing you can do with your money, is to return the first and the best to Him. And in fact, it's so important, we're going to let Rich spend a whole week talking about it next week. <laughs> so I won't touch on it here um, a lot. I'll come back to it in a minute once we get through these seven points here. Um, but what this is really talking about, just the overview, it's talking about giving back to God through the church. The second thing, the next slide, the second thing, the second purpose, the second most important purpose is to provide for ourselves and our family. 1 Timothy 5.8, the Apostle Paul says it quite strongly. He says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So this is probably fairly obvious, right? When you think about money that you have that you earn from a job, what should you do with it? You should probably provide for your family, right? <clears throat> and I would add, those of you who are singles here in the room, this uh, actually does extend to you. You may think, oh, I don't have a family. Sweet, I just myself, I can kind of do what I want. Well, I think the way you manage your money, it's a way that you can provide for possibly a future family. So you can steward your finances now in a way that will bless your family in the future. And I think this verse, this passage, providing for your family, it can also refer to how do we take care of our parents as they age, and our grandparents as they age, and they, um, as they get older. Um, but that's a whole different topic. We'll cover that another day. I won't spend any more time on that here. Uh, the third way, the third most important thing we can do with the resources God has given us is to meet the needs of fellow believers. Romans 12.13 says, Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. 1 John 3.17 says, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? And I just want to say, I'm actually, re- I should say actually, I'm really proud of you guys as a church. See, remember I said I've been here nine years, and nine years ago there was maybe 15 to 20 of us in this church. And we really started, folks really started this movement of really stepping up and helping each other. Um, looking for ways to help. Um, I think maybe it was in part because there were so few of us, but I think it was because people in the church really took it to heart and said, you know what, these verses are important and we need to take care of each other. And so it just became part of something we did to bring meals to each other, to watch each other's kids without asking a fee for it, to helping each other move. Some of you gals who've moved like 18 times (laughs) in the past nine years. We serve and we help move because we love, and this is a way we can care and meet your fellow, meet the needs of each other. And so I think as a church, I'm really proud of the way that we've owned these verses, and I just want to encourage everybody to keep it up. I think it's great. Um, I think we've created a culture where everyone's still giving of themselves and their time and their treasure to help each other out. Um, so let's keep it up. I think that's great. A fourth thing, uh, fourth most important thing uh, that we can do with our resources is we can use them to bring others to Jesus Christ. Luke 16, 9, Jesus speaking says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So I think this is probably a really straightforward concept. The idea of using money to lead others into a life of abundant joy as well, right? I think some real practical ways, some real easy ways to do this might include buying lunch for somebody or giving them a copy of a book giving them a copy of the Bible. Um, or if they have a tangible need, reach out and meet it with the money. It's a, I always look at that as a momentary sacrifice 
that has a potential to reap an eternal reward, um, eternal blessing for someone who could be in heaven with you. <clears throat> the fifth thing is we can share it with our spiritual leaders. Galatians 6.6 6 is pretty clear on this. It says, Anyone who receives instruction in the Word must share all good things with his instructor. Um, it's kind of like going to a restaurant, right? When you go to a sit-down restaurant at Chipotle, I love Chipotle, um, probably because I don't have to pay tip, right? <laughs> if you go to a restaurant and you sit down and a server comes and serves you and sort of takes care of you during the meal, what do we do at the end? We pay a tip, right? Now, do you have to pay a tip? If you don't pay a tip and you walk out the door, are the police going to come chasing down the sidewalk after you and tackle you and say, pay a tip? No, right? It's optional. Um, in some ways, a church is kind of like that, right? Our church is like that. Like, we don't chase you down the street and tackle you and say, give us money, <laughs> right? <laughs> give us a tip. But it's the same way, right? Um, that's how the church operates, is by people sharing with their spiritual leaders. Um, I know our pastors would be incredibly blessed if you all saw regular giving to the church as your primary avenue of sharing God's gifts with your spiritual leaders. Uh, faithful, faithful giving and increased giving here at the firehouse would really help stabilize our church finances. And that, of course, would be great for Rich and his family, since that's where they draw their income, but it would also be great for Brad and Jeff and Tim, who don't draw their income from the church. It would be great for them, because one of the biggest sources of concern, I think, in their shepherding and leading efforts, leading efforts are finances of the church. And then I think this verse also has another application, because it can deal with sort of special gifts. And sometimes the only way any of us can know about a special gift is if somebody shares the fact that they see a need for a special gift. And so I'm going to do that right now. I'm just going to say, Rich hasn't put me up to this. He doesn't know. I'm going to say this. But um, from working closely with Rich, I've seen that there is a special need for, for him and his family. And I just wanted to share it because God is in control and all of our resources belong to him. And I believe that if God wants to provide by me sharing this need and someone has the ability to step up and, and fill it, that would be great. But uh, some of you who know the Thatchers, those of you who don't, um, the Thatchers have one car. And uh, they're faithful with it. It's not a fancy car. We're not like some churches where our pastors drive Cadillacs. It's just a nice Saturn minivan that they drive. And it gets them around. Um, but they, uh, they have to spend a fair amount of effort juggling that time so that uh, Rich can get in the car and come to work and then take the car back because Morgan has to go to the store and he's got to go meet with somebody. And, um, and so I've seen that over the past few months that I think, man, it would be a real blessing for them if someone would give them a car, give them a second car. It doesn't have to be a fancy car. Just a car. It would be a real blessing. And I think it would really open the door for Rich to be even more free to lead and to serve and to help you all. Um, so if anybody has a second car or knows of somebody who has a, an extra car that they'd like to bless Rich and his family with, um, I just wanted to throw that out there in case, in case God wants to move on your heart that way. Um, anyway, back to our little teaching here. The sixth way that we can use our uh, resources is we can share them with the poor and the needy. Proverbs 19.17 says, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he's done. Again, I think it's probably fairly obvious that we should help fill a need. 
And fortunately, we live in a culture where there's lots of opportunities presented to us where we can help. Uh, we can help the poor and the needy. And so one thing we do as a church, and you can watch for this probably coming up, is that we try to give Christmas presents to kids who are in need. Usually through like a shoebox kind of program or something like that. And so I would encourage you as the time draws near here in the next couple months, it'll get rolling and you'll see announcements. I would encourage you to be generous and give. Um, use those opportunities. Uh, use those resources God has entrusted with you to help others who are in need. And if anybody's interested in planning or running the shoebox thing, just let me know. I'd love your help. It would be great. Uh, the last thing, after the poor and needy, the last thing we can do is we can buy whatever you like. Uh, there's this verse in Deuteronomy that talks about, you know, buy any, if there's anything you wish, right? But I think what we have to do is be really careful with this and say, if, if you've experienced the joy of items 1 through 6 that we've gone through, then you'll be able to find joy in buying what you like, right? The problem here is that we usually get it the wrong way around, and we buy the things we want first because we think they'll bring us joy, right? Instead, we should make purchases for our own enjoyment come last. And then we'll be able to find joy in those because we'll have sort of gone through all of God's purposes. All right, so now I'm going to go back to that first purposes, first purpose. Return the first and best to Him. And so let me summarize the idea of giving the first and best to God this way. Giving back to God is an act of worship. And so remember, if you worship anything besides God, you're a slave to whatever it is that you worship. So another way of thinking of this, if you can't give something away, that something owns you, you don't own it. So look again at this verse in Proverbs. You must present as the Lord's portion the best and holiest... Oh wait, no, that's the other one. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. There's a blessing that will come, a direct blessing that will come, from giving the first and best back to God. Um, and again, Rich is going to talk about that, I think, next week quite a bit. And so a question you might be asking is, say, okay... Fine, should give the first and our best to God. Where should I give my first and best? Why should I give it to the firehouse or to another church? Why should I tithe? Like I said, Rich is going to talk on that, and that's probably a good heart test for you. If you might wake up next Sunday and go, Oh, are you going to talk about tithing? And just roll over and bury your head in the pillow and not get up. Oh, that's probably a test for you <laughs> where your heart is. I hope you'll come and, and just hear and be open to see what God might have to say to you next week. But I'm going to say this today, because this is my opportunity. I personally want to encourage you to tithe to the Firehouse Church. Because we can't operate without your tithes. And in fact, we're actually operating sort of beyond your tithe right now. As I mentioned earlier, I just came on board with our church here as the second full-time employee. Rich is the first, and I'm the second. <clears throat> but the church didn't hire me based upon some great existing financial capacity that we had. There's just not any room in our monthly budget to pay for two people. So I'm really being paid out of the small reserves that the church has. And the offer that the church gave me when they came to me this summer, earlier in the summer, they said, hey, you know what? We'll offer this because we, there's a real need here and this is what we can do. But you know what? In one year, if our financial picture doesn't change, 
we're going to have to dissolve the position and there won't be a, a church operations manager. And so this could be somewhat concerning to me on a personal level, obviously, right? But I think what really troubles me more is I'm not worried about myself. I think you know, God is going to take care of me and my family and I'm not worried about that. But what troubles me more is that I've really seen our church really, really needs to have at least two people working here on a full-time basis. There's more to do here on a day-to-day -day basis than just one person can accomplish. I've really seen that to be the case. In the last two months, I've been incredibly busy, way busier than I thought I would be. I probably needed me to start on this a lot sooner. Um, and we've got these opportunities, and that's what I think is the most important. We have opportunities where we can really reach the lost with the gospel. And we can't do that without increased staff capacity. And so we needed someone else, and that's what I'm here doing, and I'm glad to be doing it. And again, the kicker is, if we don't see an increase in our finances, our monthly finances here at the church, it's not going to be me or anybody else in this position. And we'll just kind of still be stuck in first gear, and we'll have sort of bled off our church's savings too at that point. But I don't want to guilt you into giving your first and best back to God. Let's go back to the main point. The main point, which is, how are we free to give? By recognizing that all that we have belongs to God to begin with. So that's the thing I want you to really get today. Everything you have already belongs to God. And so living in obedience to His commands to give the first and the best will flow from that understanding. And understanding that we're stewards. That we're not the owner. And that allows us to take big steps of faith when it comes to our finances. So as I close here, I want to share with you, I talked a little bit about sort of the church's side of me coming on board. I'll tell you a little bit about my sort of personal side and give you a summary of what the decision to leave my architecture career and work full-time at our church means for us as a family financially. So I'm going to be transparent here in the hopes that you can kind of understand the situation a little bit better. Maybe you've heard bits and pieces, but maybe this will put it together a little bit more. And I'm hoping not, because I'm again, I'm not some great guy. I'm not different from you. Um, but maybe you can see how I've applied the concept of God's ownership and my stewardship in my life here. So for my introduction, it's probably apparent to you that I spent a good deal of treasure and quite a bit of time going through my education and training process to become an architect. Six years of school was a long time and a lot of money. And I put together a 15-year career that I've truly enjoyed as an architect. I did a lot of successful projects and I developed a lot of great business and personal relationships. It's just been really, really satisfying in so many ways. Um, I have had no regrets. I've enjoyed every minute of being an architect. And from a financial standpoint, my previous job as an architect, I was making a decent salary. But interestingly, it was probably about 80% of what I was worth from a professional standpoint. And you say, why did you stay in a job that was paying you 80% of what you're worth? That's probably a good chunk of change. Well, and the answer is, I was trusting God. Because it's God's resources, and I saw He wanted me in that job because it was in a company that was run by Christians who were supportive of family and church, and they were supportive of me even when times were tough in the economy. Um, it was a very stable job. I had no danger of losing that job. And that 80% of worth provided enough to meet our family's monthly needs. Remember that picture? There's one income for all of those people. Um, sometimes I wonder how it makes it that far. But see, then God called and said, Hey, there's a need at the firehouse. I need you to step up. 
And so, of course, our pastors have been gracious and supportive and understanding of our family's financial needs. But to make everything work in the church budget, I needed to take for myself what amounted to a 20% cut in salary and benefits to come on board full-time. And so, again, you're probably saying, why in the world would you do a crazy thing like that, Greg? And you know what? Be candid. I've asked myself that same question a few times in the past couple months. So remember the world's economy, and if you have the perspective of the world's economy, that it's more blessed to receive than give, then yeah, it does seem crazy. <clears throat> I think many people would probably tell me it was a bad choice from a financial standpoint. Even just this week, um, I ran into a guy and he was talking to me and he knew I'd been an architect. And then I changed and he said, Did you, uh, uh, did you change jobs because the architecture industry is hurting? It was like he really, he couldn't really fathom <laughs> that you would hear God's call. Um, he thought that was crazy that you would make a, a choice. And of course, the architecture industry is not hurting. The company I was working for I was strong and was growing. Um, there was great potential for the future. Um, but from the world's perspective, he was right. Right? From God's economy, it's more blessed to receive and give. Why, give, why would you stop receiving? Why would you give? If it's all about me and my job, I will receive less than I would have if I'd stayed in my old job. But I follow God's economy. At least I seek to follow God's economy. I'm not perfect at that, and I have days where I struggle. But I do believe in my heart, I believe it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I believe that all things that I have belong to God. And if I believe that that's true, that includes my whole salary, whether it's 80% of what I worth or another 20% off of that. It's all from Him, as long as I'm relying on Him. And so when God very clearly called me to take this step, I was able to do it in faith, and I wasn't able to think really about the money. It was really about, is this God, is this where you want me to go or not? And I could follow Him into that. Um, and I have faith that He's going to provide for our family, and He's provided for us thus far, and I know He'll continue to provide for us. Um, my family's security is dependent on God, and that includes our health care, and my kids needing glasses and braces, and the car needing brakes, and so on and so forth. All of that rests on God, the provider, and not on me, the steward. So I'm totally confident I can follow God into some financial uncertainty. And I can continue to give my first and my best to our church, and I can take joy in using the resources that God has entrusted to me. So I hope that my situation encourages you. Again, I'm just a fairly ordinary guy. Followed a fairly ordinary path to get to this point. Um, but I just hope you would uh, take some encouragement from that and say, you know what? God does provide. God does care for us. Um, when we use our resources uh, for His good, um, it brings us joy. Um, you don't have to be a theologian or a pastor to be a steward. You just have to have some faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we commit to you this morning all that you've given us. Lord, our very lives belong to you. Um, God, we recognize that. Um, you've given us life. You've created us. God, and our lives belong to you. We are stewards. We're just caretakers. That's the way you've set it up, and that's what we're going to follow, God. And so, as we look at our lives and the things we do with our lives, as we look at our financial resources and the things we should do with our financial resources, 
God, we commit those to You. We commit our lives to You. We want it to be a blessing to You for Your glory because we know that Your glory will bring us joy um, and it will bring us blessing. Lord, thank You for this church and the things You're doing here in this church. God, I'm excited to see um, how You're going to provide for our church through the people, Lord. And we thank You especially for Your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins so that we could have this relationship with You and be able to bring you glory. In His name we pray this morning. Amen. Well, thanks for coming to the firehouse. I hope you all have a good week, and we'll see you next Sunday or Wednesday night for small groups.